0: Welcome back to the What You Want More podcast. Today, I am joined by an amazing guest. It's an honor to have you here. Damon West, best-selling author. Welcome to the show today.
1: Quentin. thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me here. Dude, I'm so excited to be in Jacksonville.
0: Man, we are fired up to have you here. And I also have my standing co-host, Alex Stewart and Daniel Halverson with me today. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about your time in at North Texas. You go to North Texas, you're a D1 athlete you're playing college football you played three years 5A high school football you get a scholarship to go to North Texas and you're starting quarterback you know you, you, maybe not day one but you're in there starting at some capacity and I believe it was the it was a Texas m game yeah so you get you want to talk about a dream game by the way for someone like you growing up in Texas
1: oh absolutely I mean what little boy growing up in Texas doesn't either want to play for the Aggies or' against the Aggies and man I'm 20 years old when I get the first start I'm 20 dreams of being a college football quarterback done that, Check that box. Here I am. Yep. I'm living out my dream. My identity, by the way, has been a, being a quarterback. That's what I've identified with since I was a, a boy. And I was so good at, at playing football. But that game, September 21st, 1996, was what I call a fork in the road in my life. And everybody has fork in the roads. These fork in the road days are big days. Life knocks you down. You get back up. You dust yourself off. And you're at this fork in the road, and you're going to make a choice that your life goes a different direction. Make the right choice and go the right way or the wrong choice and go, mm-hmm. start going down the wrong direction. September 21st, 96, we, we, we're playing against a i A&M. I'm driving my team down the field. Third play of this game, I go down, and it ends up being the last play I ever play in college. I have an injury, and I never play college football again. And now my identity is gone. From me, my, it's been ripped out from underneath me. I don't have a plan B. I've never planned for this day. Everything that I've grown up with in Texas, playing high school football and now college football, is built around that identity. And when that happened, I got into drugs. I got into a lot of hardcore drugs because I could not deal with life on life's terms. And that's what I found out about addicts. And I'm an addict. I'm an addict. I'm in a long term program recovery uh, called AA. I go to my meetings, and I'll do that the rest of my life. But addicts. Addicts, we give up our goals to meet our behaviors. Mm. Addicts give up goals to meet behaviors. And, yeah, addicts can be anything. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. It can sure. be food, money, sex, the in- Instagram, the internet, whatever it is, gambling, whatever your addiction is. Addicts give up goals to meet their behaviors, while normal people and focused and successful people give up their behaviors to meet their goals. So my early, st- my early days of addiction started in college, cocaine, ecstasy, pills, but I was a very functional addict. Graduated college in nineteen ninety nine, moved off to Washington, DC, worked in the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president of the United States. And in two thousand four I moved back to Dallas to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world. And it was also gonna be one of the biggest fork in the roads I ever met in life, too, man. Yeah, a job as a stockbroker, no fork, man. So when you graduated North Texas and you went off to Washington,
0: you went to change your environment. To go to Washington to go for for a congressman that you said reverends going to run for president, but that ends up being that ends up being an accelerator more than it ends up being a change of environment for the good.
1: Yeah, because here's the thing, man. You take yourself everywhere you go. Wherever you go, there you are. You take yourself to every party. <laughs> and what I found out was is that with addiction, I left Dallas in the year 2000 to run away from this rage, raging cocaine addiction that I've got going on. In fact, I pack up a U-Haul. And in the back of the U-Haul, I've got a tied detergent box and I've got several eight balls of cocaine stuffed in case I get pulled over by the police, right? But I take myself with me everywhere I go. And I was trying to run from this addiction. I'm like, if I just go move to Washington, D.C., then I'll leave the cocaine addiction behind. didn't work like that. didn't work like that because I wasn't doing anything to actively work on my the disease of addiction. So, yeah, man, I took myself out there to Washington, D.C., didn't jump it back into the cocaine scene right away but it happened eventually i found it again yeah because i was looking for it the entire time that's what the disease of addiction makes you do you look, look for, for it. it and so you leave
0: washington after 9 11 and you come back home as you said and you start working for a very high-end investment firm and that fork in the road that you're mentioning is that moment in the parking garage in your book where you're, you're essentially called out for doing drugs by someone that's saying, hey, man, we can't do it like this. Everybody knows what's going on. You got to, here, come
1: to my trunk. Let me show you. Here's another fork in the road. Let me show you something I got for you. Hands me a glass pipe. Crystal rocks on the glass pipe. I've never seen it before. I'm a cocaine guy. My thing is about, you know, I'm, I'm into blow. This other guy's like, hey, man, that's not the way. That's not the best way. This is the best stuff. <laughs> and my mindset, my belief system tells me, hey, Damon, you got control of this. You, you you're, you're good, man. You can try this stuff. Yeah. Man. It was the worst decision I've ever made, man, because meth, man. Meth is the most evil, most destructive, most addictive drug ever created by man. The stuff is made to lab. It's made to get you hooked. I smoked it one time, instantly hooked, and when I smoked it in the parking garage that day, that was the beginning of a cycle of me giving everything away, my job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, my tethering to God. 18 months after the first hit of that pipe, I went from working on Wall Street, living on the streets of Dallas, and I became a criminal. Uh, I've lost everything. I've given everything away, but I've still got, I've got this addiction now.
0: You gave up your goals for your behaviors.
1: That's it. That's it. I gave up everything for my behaviors. And that's what addicts do, man. Addicts give things away. I tell people all the time, addicts aren't necessarily bad people. They're sick people that do a lot of bad things. And this is, again, any addiction, man. Anything can be an addiction. And they're not bad people. They're sick people that do bad. And that's what I was. I was a sick person doing bad things. I broke into... I started breaking into cars, I broke into storage units, I shoplifted. Then it escalated, I started breaking into people's homes. This is the crime of burglary. It's a very serious crime. And, right. and I, I found out, especially from my crimes and, and going through my trial, that the people who I broke into their homes, my victims, I didn't just steal their property. I stole these people's sense of security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I don't even know if they can get that back you. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for them. I think they'll probably have to live with that for the rest of their lives. I had a very negative impact in the lives of a lot of people. But after three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, Texas, the Dallas SWAT team, on July 30th, 2008, put an end to the Uptown burglaries, And it was the day that they arrested me. They took me down a dramatic SWAT team raid. I tell audiences everywhere I go, July 30th, 2008, brother, that wasn't just the day I was arrested. That was the day I was rescued. I got pulled out of a situation I couldn't get myself in. My angels in life... They didn't have wings. That's not how it was in my story. My angels in life, they had assault rifles, they had shields, they had helmets. They came through the window, they knocked the door off the hinges to pull me out of the world, to pluck me out of that world that I was in and put me on a different path in life. And I truly believe that SWAT teams are coming for us all the time in life. They don't have to be a real SWAT team. This is things that happen in life. This is bad days, bankruptcies, divorces, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you lose your job. These are SWAT teams that come for us in life. But if we can look at these negative events and find the opportunity, the positive outcome in there, it's there somewhere. But the thing about it is, is so many people, when the SWAT team comes, they just give up and they they lay down and die. And look, man, I'm not saying that that wouldn't have been me had I not faced some serious consequences for the things I did. The life sentence that jury gave me, they sentenced me to life in prison that day, if they don't sentence me to life in prison, if they give me probation, or if, even if I get 20 years, my life turns out differently because I know that if I get a 20-year sentence in prison, I got to go to prison for about two years before I'm up for parole. But when they gave me life, that they, they was open-ended. They could keep me for the rest of my life if they wanted to. That may, the day that I got sentenced to life in prison, May 18, 2009, I knew that something had to change and that something was me. You don't hear many
0: people talk about being grateful for a 65-year sentence versus a 20-year <laughs> sentence. But when you hear the story and what goes behind it, it starts to make sense.
1: I didn't say it that day. But <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah. So It took a little while. Yeah.
0: And so you're arrested, you're sentenced, and you're put off into a minimum security before you're taken off to maximum security. And in that moment is when these other gentlemen were laughing at you and telling you are going to have to join a gang. You're going to have to get tatted up. It's the only way to survive. Get ready. And then you meet Mr. Jackson.
1: Mr. Jackson, man. Changed your life. This is in Dallas County Jail. This is the summer of 2009. And the significance of this for the dates, summer of 2009 is 10 years to the date that John Gordon and I wrote the book, The Coffee Bean, in the summer of 2019. Wow, wow. So this is a 10-year anniversary. This is like 10 years. Decade long. Yeah, it's a decades-long journey. This old black man named Mr. Jackson, seasoned convict, been in and out of prison all of his life, but he's the most positive guy I've met inside that county jail. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere he went, man. You could knock the smile off of Jackson's face. And every morning, this old man would come up to my cell, to my bunk. He'd pick me up like a ray of sunshine mm-hmm. in that dark place with this positive energy. Energy's important, y'all. And he's telling me, he's like, listen, man, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and dummies, talking about you got to get into a gang. He said, man, don't watch these fools. He said, you want to keep the promise you made to your mom and your dad? Then let me tell you what prison's going to be like. So that's when he tells me, you know, the racial dynamic of prison. He said prison's all about race because all the races want it to be about race. So he said, you got to fight the white gangs first when you go in there. After that, if you survive that, you fight the black gangs. Then, then you can earn the right to walk alone. He said, strongest man in prison always walks alone. And that's when he tells me, you don't have to win all your fights, West, but you do have to fight all your fights. The same lesson I would use January 12th, 2017 yeah. in the corner of the Toyota Center when I've been told no seven times. Mm-hmm. This is where I first hear it from. Now, But when he's telling me this, all this, he's telling me you just got to get back up, man. I'm I'm looking back at this guy like a deer in headlights, man. All this violence and terror about to walk into. And that's when he's like, let me break it down for you a different way. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put into the pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I'm going to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change: a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. Now, he walks me through this allegory of the coffee bean, and he's telling me the carrot goes in hard but becomes soft. The water makes it soft. He said the egg goes in with a soft liquid inside, but the water changes the inside of the egg, makes it harden. He said their heart becomes hardened when you become an egg. But he said the coffee bean in the same pot of boiling water actually changes the pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. He said the coffee bean was the only thing that could change the water. Everything else is changed by the water. Carrots are changed by the water. Eggs are changed by the water. He said, not the coffee bean. The coffee bean changes the water, he said, because it is the change agent. The name of the first book, The Change Agent. Hmm. He's telling me about energy, man, your energy. He said, you either infect the rooms you go into with your negative energy or you affect the room with your positive Infect versus affect. Q, couldn't be more simple. You're either disease or you're the the cure. You're one or the other. And he's telling me about all this energy that you have that you put out. And he's telling me, man... If you want to come back as someone your parents recognize, you have to be a coffee bean. As a matter of fact, that's the last words he ever said to me in Dallas County Jail. Be a coffee bean. Four words that changed my life. Because this put me on a different path. We were talking beforehand, and I think it was you that asked me, was it immediate? Did you get it right when it happened? Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about it is like right when I heard it, I remember thinking, man, this is like great. I can relate to that, man. Because anybody that's 5 to 95 years old, can understand the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. But it would all change when I walk into prison, man. Prison, you know, when the, in the comfort of Dallas County Jail, and I say the comfort, it's ironic that someone's saying how comfortable <laughs> Dallas yeah. County Jail is. But county jail versus the life sentence wing of one of Texas' toughest prisons, night and day, man. And that's when it, it became a very elusive target to become a coffee bean. Dang, so you enter,
0: you leave minimum security to go to maximum security. And you've been warned about what's going to happen in here. And it almost happens to a T the minute you get in there. You are approached. Information seeker comes after you. Yeah, Jackson. And then, and then
1: it starts. Jackson told me. He said, man, look, he said, you're going to be approached first by a white guy because you're white. That's the way it's going to work. So the first guy that's coming up to you, is not a, he's not a threat. He's an information gatherer. He's a scout. He's right. just going to want to ask you one relevant question. What gang do you want to be a part of? And he said, man, get this guy out of your face as fast as you can. No, but get ready. He said, because the second guy comes up to you He's not coming to talk to you. He's coming to hurt you, he's an enforcer. He said, when this guy gets within range of you, hit him in the mouth as hard as you can. Just, I mean, he said, unload on this guy. he give him everything you've got, get to jump on that first fight. And man, the day I walked into prison, I'm in there less than five minutes and I'm on the life sentence wing and everybody's staring at you, man, I'm freaked out. Here he comes stumbling up, a little bitty, ball headed white dude, tatted up from head to toe, even his eyelids are tatted up. He gets up in my face, he's like, hey, white boy what family are you riding with? They call gangs family, a gang and a family, not the same thing, man. And I'm like, man, just get out of my face, little dude. I'm riding with God. Please just leave me alone. I'm riding with God. And he laughed at me, Q. He said, God isn't here, white boy. He said, we kicked God out a long time ago, but we're here and we're coming to get you. Get ready. Goes up the stairwell on the right side. Goes up and gets one of the, one of the biggest white dudes I've ever seen in my life. Big, massive, ogre-type dude. He's pointing at me from the third tier, coming down the stairway on the right side. I get a good look at this massive dude, huge, muscled up in veins, ripping out of his shirt, bald head with a swastika all around the top of his skull, tattooed up there, yeah. man. Dude, I got my back against the wall, and I remember what Jackson said. Hit him as hard as you can. And when this guy got within range, I hit him. I gave him everything I had, man. I hit him in the mouth with everything, man. Every ounce of the Everything. And in 20 seconds, man, my first fight in prison was over because that dude beat me from one side of the day from the other. My hit didn't <laughs> even affect this dude, man. Jeez. All I did was just make him more angry, and he just beat me from one side of the day from the other. And I tried to fight back where I could. And that was what life was like in prison, man. For me, the reality of prison, man, look, man, I probably got in three dozen fights while I was in there for the first two months, and I lost 75% of those fights. I got my butt kicked all over that prison. I couldn't imagine. But I won. I won all my fights. Now we're back to the same thing Jackson said at the beginning. You don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And he told me this going in for a reason, because if we go in life, this is a life lesson story. If we go into life and we think we have to win everything we're a part of, and if we lose, it's a total failure, that's a terrible way to go through life. But if we go through life knowing that we don't have to win, we just got to get back up, learn the lessons from that loss, you don't have to repeat them then maybe life is a little bit easier. Maybe we look at these obstacles and this adversity we're going through as teachable moments. And that yeah. was like the mindset that I had to change to just survive those first two months of prison. Now, at this point in this first,
0: the, the first six weeks, eight weeks, are you devoted at this point? You mentioned you had lost your faith, but at this point, have you regained it? Or are you completely committed or are you still questioning that? Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family, and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home. Maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in. Take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at BOEmortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast.
1: Man, it was, there was I got six weeks into prison. I got jumped on a Friday. And it was bad. I got, my, I got beat pretty bad that day. And it was Friday. And the Saturday next morning, I woke up. I had this plan because I was done. I, they finally broke me. And this is the whole point of the beatings, the physical violence, mm-hmm. is to break you, man. They're trying to break you. And I got a story I want to talk to you about breaking in a little bit, too. But they broke me at six weeks. And so I get up that Saturday morning. I've got a plan. I'm going to go to church. And after I get done with church, I'm going to come back to the cell. And I'm going to hang myself. Got it all figured out. I know exactly how I'm going to do it. You you find out real quick how you you can check out of prison. A lot of people choose suicide. And so I go to the church service that Saturday morning. I'm in this service. They got 200 guys and 200 inmates in there. I'm just staring dead at the altar. And I get a tap on my shoulder. And it's this volunteer chaplain lady named Ms. D. Ms. D's a little bitty woman. She walks around with a cane. She taps me on the shoulder. She said, Mr. West, I need to talk to you in my office. Come with me to my office. So I'm... In the middle of the church service, I go to the office and I talk to Ms. D. And Ms. D. says, Mr. West, what's wrong with you? I can see that something's bothering you today. And I'm like thinking to myself, dude, we live in a maximum security prison, man. Everybody <laughs> here is bothered by something, man. You can't live in there and not be bothered, right? So I'm like, this, maybe this a God thing, right? So I'm, I just unloaded Ms. D. I start crying. I was like, Ms. D., I can't take it anymore. I tell her what I'm going to do. And she's just real calm. She says, Mr. West, you can't. You can't kill yourself. You can't give up on God. Man, the minute she mentions God, I get mad. I'm like, what do you mean, God? How can God create a place so wicked and evil and sinister as this prison? And she's just really calm. She's Mr. West, you're not the first person to get angry with God. And she said, The Bible's full of people that got angry with God, but they all came back to God because they learned the secret to faith. And I was like, Miss D, I need to know whatever that secret is. I need to know that secret of faith right now. She said, if you're gonna pray. Don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. She said, you can't have it both ways. She said, you're either going to let God drive the car or you're going to drive the car. She said, but Mr. West, the last time you drove the car, you parked it inside this prison. Mm. She says, so choose who gets to the keys today, but choose wisely. Wow. Took the suicide off the table. She explained the suicide to me. She got little more in depth than I got into the book, but she was telling me about... Suicide is a seemingly hopeless world. It, it only seems hopeless. And that's where you lose hope and suicide becomes a viable option to someone that's lost hope. But hope is never really gone. It's never truly gone. But you have to look at life outside the lens of fear. Anything you look through the lens of fear it gets a distorted image. So she's pulling me out of the seemingly hopeless world that day. Dang. And, you know, just to kind of put perspective for
0: our audience. We're talking, about a, we're talking about a prison that's all people 65 to life. They
1: got nothing to lose. Nothing. They got nothing to lose. So I live on one pod. Q. I live on one of the pods. I live on seven buildings where all the lifers were. There's 432 people. Mostly, everybody in the building has a life sentence, brother. And so I live on one pod at one point. G pod one section, and G pod one section has 48 guys on it. Every pod has 48 men, and on this pod that I live on, 12 of those 48 men have life without parole. Lwops. Lwops never go home. They don't have a chance to go home. They are nuclear bombs walking around a prison because they have nothing to lose. they have no- In fact, some of the LWAPs that I got to know when I was in prison, I asked them, man, what are you gonna, man, how are you gonna do this time? Because they're like 19, 20, 21 years old. Because mm-hmm. I'm telling them, in the prisons, they're gonna keep you alive. You're like a science project to them, man, because they gotta give you medical care. If you get sick, they gotta, they gotta heal you. If you get cancer, they gotta try to cure it. Mm-hmm. They don't let you die. The medical part of prison, the, ir- the irony is you've got this great health care. And you can't die. And I'm like, but I mean, a lot of these guys, you know what their answer was to that? What's that? Oh, Wes, I'm not worried about that. Man, when I get tired of doing this time, I'm just going to kill a guard. So they can stay. Yeah, just so I can get executed. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah so I'm just going to kill a guard them. or I'm going to kill another inmate. My response was, kill yourself. <laughs> Man, take yourself out of this equation. Why are you going to? and That's what the attitude. I try to explain this to the guys in there, and I still do. These guards that we're around, they're human beings. They're working people, man. They're right. going and doing a job. They got a family they're going to go home to at the end of the day. Why would you harm someone that's just doing their job? The old timers in prison, man. The old convicts were some very intelligent men. They, they had a lot of information to give. It's like anything in society. Prison's like a society. The elders are the ones that pass the information along. And this one, one old timer told me, he said, man, we are here to do our time. And those guards are here to do their job. Don't ever get it mixed up. Do your time. They're going to do their job. But the LWAPs are dangerous people, man. The, yeah. the life sentence building is a very dangerous place because it's lose. a place without hope. Dang. So what, what was the change? So w- when did the change
0: happen to where you got to stop fighting? You got mm-hmm. to, to finally say, man, this is, I've, I've gotten past this point. Now I can move on. Or did you ever get to move on?
1: Yeah. It's always, I mean, I, right after the thing with, with Ms. D at church, it was a few days later, and uh, it was a Monday morning. About six weeks into prison. I get up that Monday morning, and the only thing I haven't used is my athletic ability. I was blessed to be a, a great athlete in life, but, man, the rec yard's very intimidating, in the life building, Every sport is segregated by the color of your skin. Everything is about race in there, man. Certain sports, like sand volleyball, whites and Hispanics only, no blacks allowed, handball court, all the races can play handball, but if you want to play doubles and partner up with somebody, your partner had to be the same skin color as you the weight stack everybody in prison wants to lift weights just like you see in prison movies all the races can lift weights but if you want someone to partner up with you someone to work out with you, your spotter they have to be the same skin color as you you can't mix mm. the races you can't even sit at a table and eat a meal with someone of a different race that's mm. how big race is in the life sentence building wow six weeks into prison i get up on a monday morning now remember miss d has told me you got to figure this out you can't you gotta let god do it so I'm like, all right, God, I'm thinking about what I haven't used, and it's my athletic ability. God blessed me to be a great athlete, and I haven't used it because I've been scared. The rec yard's a scary place. So that Monday morning, I got up the nerve. I went to the rec yard, and I got into a basketball game. Now the basketball court is run by the blacks. There's no white boys allowed in the basketball court. That's just the way it works. That's the way it works in prison. But I got myself in a basketball game that Monday morning. And this basketball was the hardest basketball I've ever played in my life. It's 9-on-1. It's not 5-on-5. Five five. It's 9-on-1. Mm. My own teammates don't want me out there. But remember, I'm in the phase right now where I'm fighting the black gang. So I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to fight them, I'm going to do it playing sports. And when you say phase, you've already gone through the, the Aryan gang at this Aryan point. Gangs, now yeah. The Aryan gang, yeah. You're onto the Bloods,
0: the Crips, and, Vice and Lord, their job and their is, yeah, Lords.
1: Their job is to break me, man, because they've, they've been directed by the white gangs. This guy won't get with his, with his own race and his own kind. Break him and then sending back to us broken, and we'll take care of them there. And all the gangs work in collusion with each other. That's sure. the way the gangs work in prison. The black gangs want me to get with my own kind. Because here you have this independent white guy walking around. That's how a racial war can break out. Someone jumps on a guy from a different race. You're bad for the system right now. Bad for the system. Yeah. I'm going against the grain. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But I can't do that because my mom's told me I can't do that and come home. I want to go home one day, Q. So um, I get into the basketball game, but here's— One of the things that I know, this is going back to growing up with a sports writer father and playing sports. In America, sports is the great uniter. Sports is the one thing that can bring this country together like nothing else can. Seriously, before there was Martin Luther King Jr., there was a guy named Jackie Robinson. Before you integrated lunch counters in this country, you integrated locker rooms in this country. Sports has this dynamic power to bring people together like nothing else can. So I went to the rec yard. I got into basketball. It took me about a week of playing basketball with these guys, but my gamble paid off. The guys pulled up around me on the Saturday after that whole rec yard week started. And after the basketball game on Saturday, they're like, hey, man, you don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time you're in here, man. You're good with us. And that was it. That was the end of the, the violence. Or so I thought it was the end of the violence because they made a promise to me in that rec yard. The blacks in the rec yard made a promise to me that there's no way they can keep. Because there's nobody from another race that can keep their race off of you. If, some, right. if one person from another race wants to jump on someone from another race, nobody can tell them not to. That would be a death wish for anybody to stop that. About two weeks after the rec yard, you know, after, after these guys have accepted me, we're, two, we're right there at two months into prison. I'm coming off the rec yard one day, and this is like— You know, I'm feeling good. These guys have accepted me, man. They come get me every day to play basketball with them. And I finally belong, man. And I'm finally, I've relaxed. I've let my guard down. Coming off the rec yard, and my my cellmate Carlos is about five for four, a little Hispanic guy, a little bank robber from San Antonio, serving ninety nine years for a bunch of bank jobs. Good guy though, real good guy. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, come on, man, you live with the lifers, you got to change your mind. Right, real you got to change your perspective. You got to figure right. out who the good guys and bad guys are. Right. Carlos right. is a good guy, bad bank robber, but a good guy. <laughs> he got ninety nine years. He's a terrible bank robber, yeah. you know. So, but um, but uh, so Carlos is, is waiting for me in the pod. And he says, man, come with me. So we go under the stairwell where nobody can see you. No cameras are. And he said, man, Wes, when you go to the shower today, Blackjack is going to be coming for you. He's waiting for you. Now, Blackjack is the biggest rapist in prison. This guy's about 6'4", 260. Big black guy loves to rape white guys. That's why they call him Blackjack. Loves to rape white guys. And he's HIV positive. And he does it with a knife. He said, Blackjack is in the pod right now waiting for you to go to the shower. Man, I'm terrified. I'm like, well, yeah, dude, I was like, Carlos, man, I'm not I'm not going to go to the shower today. I know I'm going to stink in the cell. I'm sorry, man. He said you're an idiot. You have to go to the shower today. He said you're on the track and the train is coming. He said if Blackjack doesn't rape you today, he rapes someone else and that's on you now. He said so you have to go to that shower and you got to face Blackjack. And man, I'm terrified. I'm like, dude, what am I going to do, Carlos? I said he has a knife. I don't have a knife. Man, Carlos pulls a knife out of his pants. I mean, this thing is about this long, about a foot long. For the people that are just yeah. hearing this, it's about a foot long. I don't even know those little guys hiding this thing, man. <laughs> so he pulls this out of his pants, lays it in my hand, and, and it's it's a blade just like you see in the movies, man. Movies do a good job depicting a shank, man. It's a, a piece of steel been sharpened down on a razor's edge on one side, got a point on it, and duct tape around the handle. Puts it in my hand. I hold this knife, I, I toss it around for a second in my hand, I, I give it back to him. I'm like, no. Carlos, I've never fought with a knife. I don't even know how to fight with a knife. This dude's been doing this for probably 20 years. He is going to slice me up with a knife. There's got to be another weapon, another way. He said, there is another way, there is another weapon. He said, go to the cell, I'll be there in a second. So I go up to 45 cell, and I'm frantically waiting for Carlos, and he comes in. And Carlos comes in, he's got some tools in his hand. Don't ask me where he got the tools, but he's got tools in his hands. In Texas prison, there's no air conditioning. No air conditioning. I mean, it's hot, dude. I live on the Gulf Coast of Texas, man. Y'all know what the coast feels like. It is hot, man. Summertime, it's humid and hot. All we have is these little bitty fans that are supposed to keep us cool. So Carlos takes apart my fan, and inside that fan is a motor, a fan motor. It's about five pounds, just steel and wire. He takes the motor out of the fan. He drops it in a mesh commissary bag, and he starts swinging the bag. He said, this is your weapon today. And it's basically a medieval weapon. A ball and chain Mm -hmm. flail is what he's created in that sale. And he tells me exactly what to do. He said, go to the shower. It's a one-man shower. There's a change area on the right side. Go back to the back of the shower. Turn the water on. Get back up to the front. Wait in the change area. And when Blackjack pops his head through the door, hit him in the head with his motor as hard as you can. He said, you're not going to kill him on the first lick. You're going to stun this guy. He said, but once you stun him, and you get him out there on the, we're the third tier. Once you get him out there on the third tier, he said, don't stop swinging this thing until you bash his brains out of his skull. He said, don't stop till you see brains coming out of his head. He said, you got to kill this guy today because here's what's going to happen. He said, either he's going to do something to you that you're going to want to be dead after it's over with, and he may kill you in the process of doing it, or you're going to kill him, and they're going to never let you go again because they're going to give you another life sentence and you'll never leave prison again. In fact, he tells me you'll never leave this place alive. This is your day. And I'm like, give me the motor, man. Give me the bag. So I go to the shower. I do everything he tells me to do. I wait for Blackjack to come in and Blackjack comes in. He pops his head through the door and I swing back and I hit him as hard as I can. I miss his head. He raises up. I miss his head. Hit him in the breastbone. Loud thud. Boom. Shoots out of the shower. Drops a knife on the ground. I'm on this guy. And I've got this bag and I'm bashing it against his body. He's got his head covered up. I can't get to his head, but I'm hearing ribs crack under this thing, man. I dropped the bag. I started kicking his head, man. I'm getting his, I'm, I'm going to kill this guy, man. Well, two of his gang brothers are watching this from the day room on the third down on the bottom floor. I'm on the third floor. And, man, they're Mandingo Warriors. These are guys I play basketball with, by the way. The basketball court scene comes back into play here. These guys fly up the stairs, man. They seem to have gone south on their brother, man. And they come up there west. Don't lay another hand on this dude because now that we're here— if you lay another hand on this dude, we got to kill you, man. We're, right. We're going to have to chunk you off the run. We're going to throw the, – sometimes we'll just throw you off the third tier. Just chunk you. I mean, it's, yeah, you don't have a parachute. That's concrete, man. That'll, that'll kill you or break you pretty bad. And I'm trying to explain to these guys, man, this, dude, this dude came up here trying to rape me. And they're like, dude, yeah, he, he's a rapist. That's what he does. But he's our brother, man. You can't just kill one of our brothers, man. He's a rapist. He had a weapon. You had a weapon. It's over, Wes. We're going to let you live. Get going. So I grab my bag, I go to the cell, man, I shut the cell door and I, and I start crying like a baby. I ball up on the ground and start crying like a baby in that cell and man, I, the adrenaline is burning off. I pass out, I pass out, man. And when I wake up, I'm starving, man. And I'm sitting there, man, I'm like, I'm, oh man, it's time for chow, I gotta go eat, man, I'm starving. I look up and, and the clock, I'm like, oh wow. I'm looking around, but it's not chow. I've been out for like 12 hours, man, it's morning. Jeez. It's morning, yeah, it's the morning time, man. And they're rolling the doors for first in and out for the morning. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm, like, I'm thinking maybe it was a dream. And I look over, and the bag is over in the corner. It's got his blood on it, not mine. And that's when I started looking. I was like, man, did I get cut? The dude's HIV positive. Right. I'm not cut. That's his blood, not mine. But I got to walk out of the cell. I can't live in myself the rest of my time there. I got to walk out of the cell. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if someone's going to stab me. But when I walked out of that cell, it's an entirely different prison, man. I never had to fight again because everybody in that prison – just saw what they've been looking for. The only language everybody speaks in a maximum security level five prison like that is violence. Violence is the only language everybody speaks. You become fluent in violence. Either someone speaks it to you or you speak it to them, but you're going to learn violence. And everybody saw that, that if I had to, I could take another man's life. I didn't kill him that day, but I banged him up really bad. And that was it. No one messed with me again because I was one of the group now. I spoke violence.
0: You know, uh, before we leave here, why don't you tell the audience about this new project you got working out that drops in February.
1: Oh man. John Gordon and I we got one last book in the Coffee <laughs> one Bean last series man. together. And this is it. This is way bigger than the original Coffee Bean. It's the maturing of the Coffee Bean message because yeah. it takes it from the fact that I learned it from Mr. Jackson in Dallas County Jail And it's gone and it's matured and it's gone into all these different corporations and teams and cultures. And this was the feedback we got from all these people. This is how they applied. It's how to be a coffee bean, the 111 principles of being a coffee bean. And this is the practical application of the coffee bean message now that it's out in the free world. So it's all these different principles that people have used to make the coffee bean. We put it into one book, comes out February 1st. It's available right now on Amazon, anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Nobles, anywhere books are sold, how to be a coffee bean. You could pre-order now. Pre-order right now. Now, right off your website too. Absolutely. What's your website? DamonWest.org, D a m o n Wst.org. And where can they find you on socials? At Damon West7, Twitter, Instagram, same thing. At Damon West7. Find me there. Follow me. I got a positive message every morning, man. Yeah, I
0: can I can attest to that. If you're not following him, go check him out on those handles. Make sure you're following him. Great message, great vibes. And I just can't thank you enough for being here and joining us today. Thank you for your time.
1: Guys, I appreciate it, man. Be yeah. a coffee bean.
0: I got one more shot. I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got
1: one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah
0: Thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. The team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast.